Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about the Saturday Elite Eight slate of college basketball DFS for DraftKings and FanDuel on Saturday, March 25th. It is the Elite Eight, which means we're down to a two-game slate. And pretty much, y'all, what we're going to be seeing the rest of the way from college basketball DFS is these two-game slates. So I'm going to go into a lot of detail on both games, going to cover pretty much every rotational player in the player pool, um, and just kind of break down what you can expect from both games and you know who I'm going to be putting into my DFS lineups. And I know it's early. I'm recording this here on Friday night. I'm going to try to give a little bit of a lean as to what I expect ownership to be on as well. Uh, I am sitting here recording this as you know, the Princeton Creighton game is actually on my TV right now. Um, just finished up watching Alabama lose to San Diego State and Houston lose to Miami. So uh, definitely going to have a little bit of different prep for the Sunday Elite Eight games than I was expecting to do. Uh, and so I'm glad I didn't go ahead and do any of that early. So um, yeah, we got the Saturday slate on here, y'all, and we will have an episode for Sunday slate releasing Saturday night. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Hit the subscribe button on the podcast feed that way you'll be notified when new episodes drop and you'll be notified when every new episode drops so when college basketball season ends you will get all of our golf content and all of our season long fantasy football content also all right so that does it for the introduction guys um let's go ahead and dive right into it we're going to talk about the fau versus kansas state game first but before we do that let's get in a quick word from our friends at spotify All right, so the first game of the Elite Eight and the first ticket that will be punched to the Final Four will be either Florida Atlantic or Kansas State. Now, Ken Palm has this one as FAU 74 to 73, which is shocking to me. I honestly figured that, um, you know, you would see the higher seeded Kansas State Wildcats be favored, but they really like Florida Atlantic after that win over Tennessee. Now, this is the lower total of the day by about. Um, 10 points, I believe. Um, but, you know, this is still a pretty decent total, right? It's 147, according to Ken Palm. Now, the only metric that really stands out to me defensively looking at these two teams is that Kansas State gives up a lot of assists. We kind of called this a little bit on the Thursday show, um, but they give up about 50% of opponents' field goals are assisted on. The national average is 50.9%. So you definitely could see a little bit of a boosted assist rate from the FAU guys. So let's go ahead and talk about the FAU guys. So um, before we do that, let's talk about like what has worked against Kansas State in the past. So looking at their recent games, we just saw A.J. Hogard go for 25 points on 7 for 14 shooting against Kansas State. We just saw Kaysan Wallace of Kentucky have 21 on 9 of 11 shooting. We saw Raekwon Battle of Montana State have 27 on 9 for 17 shooting. In the Big 12 tournament, Mike Miles Jr. had 22 on 6 for 12 shooting. And in the last regular season game, Eric Stevenson had 27 on 11 for 22 shooting. I'm hoping that paints the picture, right? We've seen five straight games where a guard had at least 20 points and shot at least 50% against this Kansas State defense. So in other words, this is a team where if you have a high usage guard and a guard that can fill it up, he's probably going to fill it up against Kansas State. Now, if that streak is going to continue, it's going to be in all likelihood John L. Davis or Elijah Martin. These two guys for FEU have been dynamite over the course of the whole season, and they've been good in the NCAA tournament. Now, they did combine for only 36 fantasy points against Tennessee, which they also combined for that same number against Memphis. But in every Conference USA game this season, they combined for more than 36 fantasy points. And both of them have also had a ceiling game of at least 50 or more fantasy points in their last four games. So what you're seeing with both these guys is the, basically the two of them combined for a lot of fantasy points. You you got a chance for a ceiling game from either of them. They both got solid usage rates. So which one do we want to target? All right, so let's start with John L. Davis. So John L. Davis, 
has shown more usage than Elijah Martin in the NCAA tournament. In fact, in all three NCAA tournament games, Davis has had at least a 7% higher usage rate. Now, he has also scored more fantasy points than Elijah Martin in all three NCAA tournament games. So on paper, to me, John L. Davis looks like the better play than Elijah Martin. He looks like the superior one of the two. But... In DFS, that doesn't always, you know, add up because what that means is Davis is likely to come in as higher owned. So that means that Martin will probably be more of a leverage play. And he has the same upside as John L. Davis. Like we said, he's had a 50 point or 50 fantasy point game in his last four. He did it in the Conference USA title game against UAB. So I think both these guys have a lot of upside. They're both going to carry a lot of ownership. I think you can stack them. I think you can play one. I think you can avoid them both if you want to, but just let it be known that both of these guys have a high ceiling and guards have excelled against Kansas State. Now, we also mentioned that Kansas State gives up a lot of assists, but these two guys aren't exactly the ones to take advantage of that. Both Davis and Martin average 1.5 assists per game, uh, and in fact, the two of them have combined for 10 total assists in three NCAA tournament games. That's bad. But, you know, fortunately, or maybe unfortunately, FAU plays about five other guards, double-digit minutes, that can make up for those assists. So trying to figure out which one can be pretty tricky. So Nick Boyd has the highest assist rate on the team on the entire season, and he records a good amount of peripheral stats in general with rebounds, assists, and steals. He doesn't need to score a lot to hit value. And in fact, he was the only starter for FAU who hit four times value against Tennessee. Definitely would have no problem going to Nick Boyd. And like we said, you could see an inflated assist rate against this K-State defense. Brian Greenlee also has a high assist rate. Uh, he's been over three times value in every NCAA tournament game and he's played over 25 minutes in all three of those games as well he's really establishing himself as the leader at the one um, for this Florida Atlantic Owls team and I definitely wouldn't mind going back to him either Brandon Weatherspoon is another guy who I could see getting a lot of minutes in this one he's one of their bigger guards he, he stands at about 6'4 he's kind of lengthy he's got a little bit of weight to him um, and I think he could be used in this game to match up with one of Kansas State's you know kind of three four guys like a Keontae Johnson or like a Naquan Tomlin um, so I definitely think that you you could see increased minutes for Weatherspoon for that reason. If you think that, you know, maybe I'm just making something up here. Tennessee's got a lot of long athletic wings as well. And he played 21 minutes in that game, which was his high in minutes in the last two months. Um, so you're looking at a guy that, you know, when they played a really long, really athletic team, he got a boost in minutes. And I think that could happen again here in the Elite Eight. Now, what's important to know for Weatherspoon is he also has a 19% shot rate on the season. He might not be in the game a whole lot of minutes, but when he's in the game, he does get shots. So I definitely think he's got a lot of upside heading into this one. Now, the last two guards are Michael Forrest and Jalen Gaffney. And because of how cheap they are, both have a chance at hitting four times value, but they kind of have a little bit of like holes that I can pick at. Forrest plays very inconsistent minutes. You never know what you're going to get. And Forrest had a good game against Tennessee, but it ate into Gaffney's minutes. And Weatherspoon ate into Gaffney's minutes. So I don't really know like what to make of these two guys. I think they're like almost slightly above punt plays that you could throw in and they might hit value, they might not. I personally think there's more to bank on with a Weatherspoon, with a Nick Boy, with a Brian Greenlee. Now, in the front court for Florida Atlantic, they put, pretty much only play two guys, and they don't play them together. You're going to get 40 combined minutes from Vladislav Golden and Giancarlo Rosado. If you think I'm Giancarlo Rosado, that's tough to say. If you think I'm kidding, go look at their game logs and add up the minutes. They pretty much add up to 40 every single game where there's no garbage time. Now, Kansas State has been vulnerable to bigs, so on paper, both Golden and Rosado are in a good spot. But the problem is, is that they eat into each other's minutes, and neither see like an exceptionally high usage rate when they're in. So if they're not going to play a lot of minutes and they're not going to have a high usage rate, 
Like, what are we doing here? And that kind of reared its ugly head against Tennessee. Both of them combined for 18 fantasy points, which is not great. In fact, in the month of March, the most that they have combined for is 45 fantasy points. And on average, they combined for about 36 fantasy points. So maybe if you think that, you know, with playing K-State, they get a little more, maybe they go for 40 fantasy points combined, you know, and they play 50-50, you know, minutes, that's still 20 fantasy points apiece. Like, I, I just, I don't really see a whole lot of upside in either of these two guys because of the minutes and because of the low usage. All right, now let's talk about Kansas State. And if you talk about Kansas State, you got to start off by talking about Marquise Noel. How good has this guy been? Like, he is the guy that if, you know, it comes to fruition, he could have the Kemba Walker or the Shabazz Napier run through this NCAA tournament because he has been just absolutely outstanding in the NCAA tournament. From a DFS perspective, he's averaging almost 55 fantasy points per game in the NCAA tournament. He's hit five times value in all three games. And the most impressive stat is he's averaging 14 assists per game in those three games. 14 assists per game. That's wild. He's, I believe he set the NCAA tournament record for single game assists against Michigan State. And he, I mean, he's just absolutely been great. He has had at least a 30% usage rate in all NCAA tournament games so far, and he's shown no signs of stopping. He is the top play on the slate to me. He's a guy that I think you can honestly just lock into your lineup and figure out how to work the rest around it. I think he's that good. He's got that high of a ceiling. He's got that high of a floor. And I think ownership is going to be so high anyway that like it might reach a point where you might as well play him, right? Because if he does go off, you're going to need him in your lineup if you want to cash. So, you know, that'll be a decision that you have to make individually on what your goals are. But I think he's been absolutely outstanding. I think he's one of the plays of the day. And I think, quite frankly, they didn't price him up enough. Now, Keontae Johnson is a guy that is, you know, kind of the second fiddle for this Kansas State offense, kind of forms that dynamic duo they have, right? Now, he only had 30.5 fantasy points against Michigan State. But I got to be honest, watching the game, it kind of felt like more than that. Like it was a loud 30 fantasy points. Like he contributed a lot in big moments, you know, had the big alley-oop in overtime. Like he, I thought he played really well. I was really surprised at the end of the game to look and see that he only had 30. My perception was that he was going to be closer to 40. Anyway, I think that bodes well going forward, honestly. Um, but he poses a massive mismatch for FAU. You know, he stands about 6'6". He's got a little weight to him. He's definitely long and athletic as well. I just don't think they have anybody that can match up with his combination of size, strength, and speed. And on the offensive end, I think he's going to be able to have an advantage over whoever they try to throw at him. I don't think they're going to put one of their bigs on him. I think it'll be John L. Davis or Brandon Weatherspoon who sees a majority of the minutes on Keontae Johnson. Now, Keontae Johnson's pretty much held true to his 22% usage rate uh, that he's had on the season. And he plays pretty much every minute in the game. So I have no problem putting him in lineups with or without Marquise Noel. Um, Keontae Johnson has had three four times value games in his last eight games and in all three of those games Marquise Noel got to at least four times value with him as well they make great stacking partners and honestly I think you can play them with or without each other as, as well so uh, Noel and Johnson definitely two guys that I don't mind putting into my line now Naquan Tomlin has had back-to-back -back games over 30 fantasy points. And what's interesting to me is that his usage rate hasn't been significantly higher than his season average, which is kind of a good sign. It doesn't mean that like they're just like force-feeding him the ball. Like he's having these good performances within the flow of what he normally does. But in these you know last two games, he's rebounded well, he's blocked a few shots, and he's been efficient from the field. You know, I don't know if all that's gonna continue, but you know, it kind of sets up for a profile like, you know, it's not fluky. He's doing things that are within the realm of possibility that is given the him these fantasy point totals and I totally don't mind going back to him for that reason 
Looking down the rest of the K-State roster, Desi, Stills dealt, Desi Sills excuse me, dealt with foul trouble against Michigan State. Now, we talked about him here on the podcast before. He's a big peripheral stats guy, and it's hard to get peripheral stats when you're sitting on the bench with foul trouble. It, you know, if he's able to stay out of foul trouble in this one, he definitely has a chance to give you value. And I think, you know, the last game with it not being so great, I think people might look into that a little more than it is and might not put him in their lineup. So you might get a low-owned Desi Sills. Cam Carter was the beneficiary of the Sills foul trouble. He had three straight games under three times value before Thursday night's game against Michigan State. And then he just went and had a six times game. Um, I think that a lot of people are just going to click him in their lineups because of that game. But I'm a little conflicted about it because... I think he plays a lot of minutes anyway. And so any guy who is going to play a lot of minutes is going to have a chance to hit value, right? Like even if, you know, he's not getting a high shot rate, a high usage rate, like he's going to have a chance to give you four times value. But I think that like the production that he had in all those minutes in Thursday night's game specifically was because of the Desi Sills foul trouble. So like, I don't know. Do I think he has a chance to give you value? Yes. Do I think that he is likely to repeat Thursday performance? Absolutely not. So I think that, you know, he's a guy that I think the ownership will probably outweigh my expectations for him, in, in my personal opinion. I think a lot of people are going to click on him after that game Thursday night, and I think that I'm fine fading him if he's going to be highly owned. Now, let's talk about David Ngasan. He's been over four times value in two of his last three games. With his rates, he's going to get about 20 minutes. He's going to take about five shots. And if he hits them or he manages to you know, find his way into extra rebounds, blocks, or steals, he has a good chance to hit four times value as a value play. But I do question his upside. He's only had two games over 20 fantasy points in the last two months. So you're not going to get like the like the big-time GPP winning game out of David Ngasan. Now, Ismail Masood was another beneficiary of the Desi Seals foul trouble. He usually plays about 16 minutes, and he played 28 on Thursday, but he also shot the ball really well. He was four for six from three in Thursday night's game, but my one worry about him from a fantasy perspective is that he's dependent on that scoring to accumulate fantasy points. He had 15 real points and 19.5 fantasy points in that game, which means that he wasn't doing a whole lot other than scoring. Now, I will say, you know, anybody who's played basketball everybody has a comfort level shooting in different gyms, right? So maybe, you know, can I make the argument that he has a comfort level shooting in Madison Square Garden and maybe having another game in Madison Square Garden, he's going to have another hot shooting night? Maybe. I think it's worth a look. I definitely think he's worth consideration, but I don't think he's like a solid play and I definitely am concerned about the fact that he pretty much only scores. All right, so that does it for the FAU versus Kansas State game, um, which is the first half of the doubleheader for Saturday. Uh, so let's take a quick breather, and let's go ahead and check in on the Gonzaga-UConn game. All right, the Gonzaga-UConn game is projected to be the higher scoring game of the two. Uh, Ken Palm has it as UConn 80-77, to which is the higher point total by 14 points. And it's because of Gonzaga's tempo that they play with and the lack of defense that they play with. They're 39th in the nation in adjusted tempo per Ken Palm, and they're 73rd in defensive efficiency per Ken Palm. Now, oddly enough, Gonzaga doesn't give up a huge amount of offensive rebounds or assists. Their defense really just comes from allowing teams to shoot the ball well against them. So it kind of creates a little bit of a conundrum for UConn because they are a very good team at offensive rebounding, and they are a team who assists on a lot of buckets. So, you know, the question becomes, you know, like if they're able to score, are they still going to do it with their usual way of getting a lot of offensive rebounds and getting a lot of assists? You know, 
we'll have to see. But let's take a look at UConn specifically. So Adama Sanogo has now hit four times value in four straight games. I went deep in the box scores to see if any other centers had had good offensive games against Gonzaga. And truth be told, they really didn't see a whole lot of quality centers in the West Coast Conference. But when you go back to the non-conference, Zach Eady had 23, Jack Nunji had 25, and Oscar Shibuya had 20 points and 15 rebounds. So definitely there is an ability for centers to have a good game against Gonzaga. I don't think Timmy is a bad defender, but I also don't think he's the most mobile big man either. I think Sonogo will be a little longer, a little more athletic, uh, and a little more verticality than uh, Drew Timmy. So I definitely think there's a chance that Sonogo does hit four times value again. Now, I do worry on the other end, Sonogo's got to guard Timmy as well, which means not only is he going to get a lot of rebound and block opportunities, but a lot of opportunities to foul. And if he gets in foul trouble, that could really, really screw you in a two-game DFS slate. Now, looking down the board for UConn, we've got Andre Jackson Jr., who is like the ultimate glue guy. He's hit four times value in two of his last three games, all of which are NCAA tournament games. He's averaging six rebounds and seven assists in the NCAA tournament, which is kind of just insane. Like, he's a legitimate chance to get a triple-double, like which is not something that a lot of guys in college have. And in this tempo up spot, like, I definitely think that there's a legitimate chance for that. Like he definitely can get to that number of six rebounds and seven assists and give you a good fantasy performance. Now, Jordan Hawkins is a streaky shooter and he shot it decently well against Arkansas. Wasn't the most consistent, but he did put it in the hoop quite a bit. He ended with 34 fantasy points in that game, which made it two games over four times value in his last five. But my worry about Jordan Hawkins, and I said this on the Thursday pod as well, he doesn't record a lot of peripheral stats. So if you do get a game where he does give you a lot of peripheral stats, that's like a major ceiling boost for Jordan Hawkins. But in a typical game environment that's not going to happen however in a game against a team like Gonzaga that's going to push the pace could he maybe get a few more rebounds and assists I think it's a possibility but it's not something that I would count on um I would personally prefer to play Tristan Newton. He is the one who does record a lot of peripheral stats. He's right behind Andre Jackson Jr. in that regard. He averages about four and four on the season in terms of rebounds and assists. Uh, and he does a little more scoring than Andre Jackson Jr. though. Newton himself has hit four times value in one of their three NCAA tournament games, but he hasn't shot the ball a whole lot in those games. He's had 18 total shot attempts in three games and he averages a little over seven a game. So I definitely think if you see a little more shots out of Tristan Newton, he can definitely give you big time value. We have seen some upside ceiling performances from Tristan Newton this season that makes me think that he might be the guard from UConn that you want to play. Now, I doubted Alex Caravan on Thursday's podcast, and he proved me wrong. He just barely got to four times value against Arkansas, but he's going to have to play a lot in this game to help keep Anton Watson off the boards. He's going to have to really be good at the four uh, and a good rebounder if UConn is going to want to win this game. Um, the big reason that he did hit value against Arkansas is because he did grab seven rebounds in that game. So I definitely think that there's a possibility he could do it again, but I don't think he has a whole lot of upside to get there and give you like a five times or a six times value performance performance. Now, also, I don't see this one being a big Donovan Klingon night. He doesn't play a lot of minutes. He gets used a ton when he's in there, but he really excels in games where he has like big time size mismatches. And that's not going to be the case with Timmy down low. Um, so I just don't see it being a big night for him. Low minute total, um, not going to be super effective. I just don't, I'm not seeing it. I think he's going to come in highly owned because people know about, you know, what he does and know about his upside, but I, I'm just not seeing it. He's probably going to be a pass for me. Now, looking way down the board for UConn, I do like two of their value plays. Naheem Aline was one of my favorite value plays on Thursday, and he came through with a five times performance. Joey Calcaterra is another one. That he's a legitimate punt play. If he comes in and knocks down a few three-pointers, he can very quickly get to four times value. And I think it's worth noting 
that both of these two guys, Aline and Calcaterra, they didn't play a lot of garbage time against Arkansas. Like, yes, in the second half, it turned into garbage time a little bit, but they kind of just played, like, a little bit of extended run from, like, the top bench guys. But, like, when it got to garbage time, like, they got out of there too. Like, like Danny Hurley had no, like no intention of playing those two guys longer than he had to because he wanted to, um, you know, keep them healthy for the rest of the tournament. So, like, when you look at their minute totals for the Arkansas game, like, don't think, like, oh, it's just higher because of garbage time. Like, that was not the case. Those two guys pretty much got their normal rotation, maybe extended two or three minutes, but not much more than that. All right, now, let's switch it up and talk about Gonzaga. So, Drew Timmy was just great against UCLA like uh, along with Marquise Noel that was just one of the great college basketball performances of the last decade in my opinion he ended with 62 fantasy points which is a super high total and it was his fourth straight game over 30 percent usage in the postseason Gonzaga is content to just pound it down low to Timmy just every possession get him the ball get him opportunities and he's actually he's shown you a little bit of assist upside as well he's made a lot of good passes out of the post in the tournament now UConn is one of the toughest matchups on the interior but I'm gonna be honest if he's still getting that level of usage, he's worth a look. He took 24 shots in his last game against UCLA. So you're telling me if a guy takes 24 shots, even against one of the best interior defenses in college basketball, if you get 24 shots, you should still be able to get to 30 to 40 fantasy points, right? Like, like I'm not crazy to think that. I, I just think that his usage is going to make him a play regardless of who the opponent is. Now, me personally, I would rather play Marquise Noel in terms of like the price range, but I do think that Drew Timmy is absolutely an option. Anton Watson is a little bit down the board. I'm just not super interested, and we talked about him on the Thursday podcast. He doesn't have a super high usage rate, and he's dependent on rebounds. He only has one game over 20% usage in the last month, and it was their first-round NCAA tournament game against Grand Canyon. Not exactly the same level of competition as UConn. And so with that low usage... Like he just he has to get rebounds to get to value, and I don't like his chances to do that against Sonogo and the rest of the UConn bigs. So I'm probably out on Anton Watson for the time being in this game. Julian Strother, I'm not opposed to playing, but I do wish he was a little cheaper. Um, he's another guy that he really has his best games when he gets rebounds. He's averaging almost 10 rebounds in the NCAA tournament, but unlike Anton Watson, he has a higher usage rate and he's taken a lot of shots. He's taken double-digit shots in all three of his NCAA tournament games, so I definitely think that Strother has a lot more upside than Watson. Uh, and, you know, I don't know how much of psychologically he was the hero Thursday night. Like, does that kind of play into a little bit of the rest of the tournament? I don't know. I think you've seen times where guys were like the hero who hit a buzzer beater and they continue playing well the rest of the tournament. I don't know if that's a confidence boost or a trust boost from your teammates. I don't know, but I kind of like the narrative of playing him. And uh, like I said, I wish he was a little cheaper, but I do think that he gives you that legitimate upside. Now, for Gonzaga's guard rotation, we've talked about it here on the podcast before. It's kind of a mess, and you never really know which one of the guards for Gonzaga, other than Strother. Strother is, like, pretty dependent. But you never know which one of the other guards are going to get the minutes and get the production. Well, in the second half against UCLA, anybody who watched that second half, like Saul, it was Malachi Smith and Hunter Salas, and Mark Few stuck with them. They brought a lot of energy and they played really well, and they played well defensively as well. They really shut down Tiger Campbell in the second half of that game. So I don't see why he wouldn't go back to him, right? I mean, they did have one dumb backcourt violation that, like, could have been costly, but, like, aside from that one play, they were great. Like, I don't see how Mark Few doesn't go back to the two of them 
like in terms of his rotation. So let's talk about what they actually did in that game. Malachi Smith played 24 minutes and had, had 26 fantasy points. And what's super notable is that his price did not change. Like, don't forget about Malachi Smith. He was the SoCon player of the year at UT Chattanooga. So you're talking about a guy who was the player of the year in a mid-major conference in college basketball. Guy's got game and he can, you know, adapt if they do want to use him a little bit more. He's used to being a much more high usage player. So I definitely think Malachi Smith has a lot of upside. And Hunter Salas in that game played 21 minutes and had 11 fantasy points, which is kind of disappointing, but he only took three shots. So I think personally, in terms of the range of outcomes for Hunter Salas, if he plays 21 minutes again, I expect more than 11 fantasy points. If you play him, you would it would kind of come with the expectation that he gets to that same minute total that he had in that game. If he doesn't get the 21 minutes, he doesn't have a whole lot of upside. But like I said, I think Few is going to go back to them. And I really think that, like, like why wouldn't he? Like they In the biggest game of the season, they outplayed the other guards. So why would you not go back to him? Now, let's talk about it from a DFS perspective, though. I expect Malachi Smith to be one of the highest known plays of the night for that reason. I think everybody is thinking the same thing I am, that they're going to go back to him. And maybe they remember, or, you know, they mentioned it on the broadcast about 17 times, that he was the SoCon player of the year, and so he does bring you that upside. And I just expect him to be one of the highest known players of the night. I expect a lot of people to click on him. Now, what that does, though, is that makes Rossier Bolden and Nolan Hickman huge leverage plays because what if Mark Few goes back to Bolton and Hickman? Then the people that played Malachi Smith are going to be SOL. And so I really think that Bolton and Hickman become DFS leverage type plays. In terms of an actual basketball X's and O's move, I think Smith's the better play. But in terms of DFS ownership, leverage, winning GPPs, Bolton and Hickman make for good leverage plays. Between the two of them, I would be inclined to lean Rossier Bolton because he has shown a higher ceiling. He's given us better games in the past, uh, and he tends to have a higher usage rate than Nolan Hickman as well. Hickman tends to be more like Hunter Salas, where he just plays a lot of minutes and does a lot of cardio. I mean, that maybe a little disrespectful to Hickman. He does more than like just run up and down, but he definitely doesn't have as high of a usage rate as a Rossier Bolton or even as a Malachi Smith for the minutes Malachi Smith plays. So to me, that Gonzaga guard rotation could possibly be where this slate is won or lost. Like I know a lot of people are going to click Malachi Smith. I, I'm not opposed to it. I think he's one of the best plays of the night, but I don't know if personally... If you're playing the ownership game, if you're playing the leverage game, I think Rossier Bolton's very intriguing. All right, so that does it for the Gonzaga-UConn game, and that does it for our Saturday Elite Eight preview. We will be back recording Saturday night for the Sunday Elite Eight preview for whatever those two um, games may be. We know it's going to be San Diego State and Miami at the time of me recording this. I'm hoping that the, one of the four teams is going to be my Texas Longhorns. I'm about to um, you know, quit this and go watch them play. So uh, hopefully we end up with a quality Elite Eight slate on Saturday and then Sunday. Hopefully it's another good two games as well. Uh, again, we're kind of coming near the end of the um, the best time of the year with the NCAA tournament. And, and let's hope we get some good two game slates for Saturday and Sunday. Now I will be here breaking it down. Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast if you want to be notified when new episodes drop. Uh, we will be coming back doing more college basketball next week for the end of the NIT and the Final Four as well. So that does it for this episode, guys. Best of luck to you guys in all your DFS endeavors. Um, thank you guys for listening, and I will see you next time.